So uh, for a couple of weeks now we've been walking through John chapter 15, 16 and we'll get into John chapter 17 over the coming weeks and these are all in the last week prior to the, to the crucifixion of Jesus and uh, in this particular scripture that we're going to look at today which is John chapter turn him on, 16 verses 6 to 15 we're going to be looking at a passage that Jesus was walking and talking with his disciples started in uh, chapter 15 when he had uh, is on the on the road to the garden of Gethsemane and he was walking and talking with them he had some important things to tell them as uh, as I said as this screen says we we're, we're looking at the theme of seeing what Jesus sees so right at this point of time in John's gospel what he saw was the disciples that were with him and his plan for them at this time was to prepare them well for what was coming they didn't realize that their Lord and Master was going to go to the cross uh, to, to be crucified and to die to pay the price and the penalty of, of man's disobedience and sin. They didn't understand that. And so he was preparing them, not only for then, for that time, but for the time after that as well. What they might face uh, and what they might rely on, what resources they might have after that time. There's a, um, a writer of... Uh, commentator of the, of the scriptures, uh, J.B. Phillips, he said about this time when Jesus was walking towards uh, the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, he said this, Within the solitude of the upper room, now over, so they moved from the upper room on the way to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, With that now over and the agony ahead, Jesus talked as he walked. First to his followers, he talked to them first, then to his father, he talked as he walked. And his talk with his followers gave them some revelation, some new information about God and the Son. God, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Heavenly Father. So as he talked, he was teaching them, even in the last week, as it were, that he had before the crucifixion, he was teaching them about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. On this night, as Jesus was walking and talking, he had already promised on three different occasions up until this, in, in chapter 15 and 16, 14, 15 and 16, that God would send his Holy Spirit. And these were promises that he gave to his people. God's Holy Spirit would be sent in a new way to live in everyone who received Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. This is a new thing. Because up until this time in the history of, of the world, and the history of Israel, God's Spirit had been placed on people, as in uh, for a purpose, whether they be kings, uh, priests, judges, prophets, God's Spirit had been placed on them, but then withdrawn from them. But what, God, what Jesus was talking about now was the way that God's Spirit was going to come and live in everyone that put their faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. These are some of the promises. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18, Jesus said this, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another counsellor to be with you. Now some of the translations use the word counsellor, some of them use advocate, some of them use comforter. They all mean the same thing. Verse 17, and that is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you is what Jesus said. And another passage, uh, which is John chapter 14, 
bit further in that same passage, he says this, verse 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while I am still with you, but the counsellor, comforter, advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So there's the plan, there's the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming. And again in chapter 15, which we looked at last week, verse 26 and 27, Jesus said, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. As I mentioned last week, a, 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 a normal teaching practice within the Jewish rabbi system was to reinforce, reinforce, reinforce. Not repeat, repeat, repeat. Repeat, repeat, repeat is like parrot, parrot language. But reinforce, reinforce and reinforce means this is important. You need to hear this. You need to hear it well. You need to, you need to hear it over and over again so that you'll understand it. And we know that on the day of Pentecost, God poured out his spirit into the lives of the believers at that time. So this morning we're going to be looking at John chapter 16 and why don't we read uh, screen about. So I'll start on the first screen, you can read the second screen, okay? Out loud, if you choose. And this is what John records for us. The words of Jesus, actually we should have the red letter edition up on the screen, shouldn't we? Some of us have got red letter Bibles. So these are the words of Jesus, uh, reading from verse 6. And I'll read this first screen. Because I have said these things, like Jesus had just said that he was going to go away and leave them, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Your turn. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Your turn. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. So these are some of the things that Jesus was teaching to his disciples as they walked towards the Garden of Gethsemane and they're true for us today too. We need to understand them and take them on board. In thinking about the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit this morning, there's one uh, story I read about one, a great preacher back in the mid-1950s, early 1950s. You might have heard of his name, Peter Marshall, uh, Reverend Dr Peter Marshall. He was one of the great preachers of the 20th century. And at, at, in 1946, he became the chaplain to the US Senate. That was a fairly important, if not prestigious position, but in his devotions, in his uh, sermons to the Senate, he preached the gospel. And he reminded people of the faith foundations that the United States were built on. But there's something special about him. Every year he would preach the same sermon at the church where he was uh, once a year, at the beginning of the year. And he preached this uh, sermon at the Westminster Presbyterian Church in Atlanta. He's, he said this, 
The king is the audience. Walking the aisles or sitting beside you, you may whisper your own prayer to the king now. He had this incredible gift, I think people refer to, of making people aware of the presence of Jesus in the meeting, in the assembly, in the congregation. Often when he preached this, there would be a heart-searching silence that followed. And one woman said, we seemed actually to feel Christ beside us to hear the rustling of his clothes. What did he say? He said, the king is in the audience, walking these aisles or sitting beside you. You may whisper your own prayer to the king now. We should feel the presence of Jesus regularly amongst us, shouldn't we? God's promised us that when we gather together in, his, in Christ's name, he will be with us. God's spirit is amongst us, so we should sense the presence of the Lord in this place. He is always with us as believers. Now that goes beyond what the world says because it appears airy and fairy to the world when we start talking about spiritual things, but it should be the norm for us that we recognise God's presence in us individually and then with us corporately. So today I want to focus on some of the most important ways that God's Spirit wants to work in our lives. If you look at the uh, Gospels, there, there are at least 15 ways throughout the Gospels and the letters of the New Testament that God's Spirit wants to work in his people. I'm not going to speak on 15 points this morning, but we'll look at a few of them, okay? And the first one is one that we don't particularly like, I think, he is one who convicts us. God's Holy Spirit gives us conviction. And in fact, Jesus was just talking about this in those first uh, five verses that we read this morning. Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counsel will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. So, Jesus had to go so that the Holy Spirit could come and be with his followers. When he comes, he'll convict the world of sin, in re- guilt in regard to sin, and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. And most of us have been there at some stage in our life where we haven't believed in Jesus. But through the influence of godly parents or faithful Sunday school teachers or, 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 or faithful friends, we've heard the good news of Jesus and the fact that we are all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it's only through faith in Jesus alone that that sin is forgiven, that disobedience is forgiven. So we've all been there. We've all had that conviction. Conviction in regard to sin because men do not believe in me, in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and in regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I wonder... Have you been convicted lately by the Holy Spirit? That's his job. That's his his purpose in us, is to keep us on the straight and narrow with God. That's why Jesus promised him and sent him to all who believe in him. The Holy Spirit tries to show us the seriousness of our disobedience, the seriousness of our sins. And in verse 14 and 15, uh, he will bring glory to me, Jesus said, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. He wants us to shine the light of Christ, if you like. We need to have that conviction to shine the light of Christ day by day in whatever God asks us to do, 
in the jobs that we have, in the families that we have, in the social connections that we have, we need to be, in another part of the Gospel, the light of the world as a reflection of who Christ is. Everybody needs to be convicted of sin, but it's not just enough to be convicted of a sin. We need to know God's will and his work to save us from our sins. So the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ in our lives. In that passage that talks about being convicted of the, of the, the way that God, Jesus is perfect, his perfection, perfect righteousness. God convicts us of the Lord's righteousness and the, the fact that he was the only one that could go to the cross for our sins. He's the only one that can save us from our sins. In verse 14 there, it says, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. And that includes his righteousness. We stand righteous in God's sight when we put our faith in Jesus who has been the righteousness for us. I was telling the folk we pray, uh, if you want to join us for prayer on Sunday mornings, we try and get together at quarter to ten up in the hall. And I was telling the folk there this, this morning that I had an answer to prayer, even while we were in that prayer time this morning, uh, praying all week. And I asked Cheryl this week uh, of a situation that we faced out in Mount Isa. There was a young, young boy, he was uh, I think six, I think he was, and his mum came to me one day and she said, she said uh, my son believes in Jesus and he's a little bit shy about asking if you would baptise him. And so I often am cautious with children uh, because sometimes they just get on, the, uh, on the, uh, the train of people being baptised. We had a few people baptised this week. So I sat down with him and, you know, I couldn't remember his name. So in my notes here I said, let's just call him Jimmy. But while we were praying this morning, God gave me his name. His name was Aidan. Is that right, Cheryl? Aidan. She can't remember still. Okay. It'll come to you. And uh, let me tell you about Aidan's story. I had the joy of talking to six-year-old Aidan about his salvation. And he, I wanted to make sure that he understood what was going on for him before I baptised him. And so we, we, we talked about it and he had trusted in Jesus a couple of months before I chatted with him. When I asked him to tell me how it happened, one of the things he said was, I kept feeling a tugging at my heart. God was calling me from the inside out. And uh, before he was baptised, I said to him, do you think you'd like to tell your story to all the people in the church? So we had a stage in the church of Mount Isa, it was two or three steps up. So I invited Aidan to come down, sit on the steps with me. He was a little bit nervous, so I said, don't look at them, look at me. And, uh, and I asked him some questions. And he had no doubt at all what Jesus had done for him that he died on the cross because of his sin and that in believing in Jesus he would be free from that sin and able to serve Jesus with his whole life. There were tears in people's eyes that day when he was telling his story and there was more tears when we baptised him a little while later. And that's exactly what the Lord's talking about. The Holy Spirit makes known to us what Jesus already knows. And the shepherd the good shepherd calls his sheep. Do you remember that passage out of John chapter 10 where it says the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out? And, and in chapter 10 verse 4 it says the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You know, young Aidan heard the call of God if you like. He wouldn't have put it in those words. He said, God was tugging at my heart 
from the inside out. And that's what God does. Uh, if we're searching for him, if we want to be uh, faithful to him, he'll tug us, he'll call us out, just like his sheep. And, and he'll keep tugging until we respond, until we trust in Lord. That's that conviction of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, reminding us of what Christ has done for us. There's a pastor, Pastor Jerry Shirley, I, I, I subscribe to his um, website and he has some great illustrations. He said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, often the Holy Spirit is symbolised by fire. And he pondered on that a bit and he said, partly this is because of, the, of, of the, one of the great ministries of the Holy Spirit is to burn out the impurities of our lives. I hadn't thought about it that before. But this was the interesting thing that he said. First, the fire shines the light on our sinfulness and brings us under conviction and then the spirit still small voice inside us makes us uncomfortable when we sin. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Another Bible scholar and pastor, Dr John Rice, made this comment after being saved for many years. He was asked if he had gotten to a place where he no longer sinned. And Dr. Rice replied, No, but I've gotten to the place where I can't enjoy it anymore. Isn't that real? Because of the conviction of God's Spirit. He, he wasn't saying he was perfect, but he said, When I do sin, I can't enjoy it anymore. God's at work convicting Christians of sin in our lives so we might know his righteousness and the life that he offers. So the second thing, the second work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is that the Holy Spirit gives us a relationship with God. We can't have a relationship with God without God's Holy Spirit in our lives. We believe in Jesus and then God's Spirit is given to us. He makes us a part of the family of God. How do we become a part of the family? The Bible talks a lot about the family of God. It talks about becoming a part of a family. And in essence, there are only three ways that we become a part of a family. We can marry into a family, so we, we marry our spouse and we become part of the family. We can be born into a family or we can be adopted into a family. I just want to touch on those. There's a few scriptures about those this morning. So the Holy Spirit gives our relationship with God so that we become a part of the family of God. All right, marriage, yeah, said that. Uh, John chapter 3, verse 25 to 31 says this. It was a story about the disciples having an argument. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptising and everybody is going to him. Who was that? John the Baptist. Yeah. To this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, this is John the Baptist, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. So, John recognised that the bridegroom was coming, and that was Jesus. And so he was the bridegroom's attendant, if you like. But that as, 
as faithful people, we, we become a part of the family of God. In fact, we are married as the bride of Christ into the family of God. I wonder if we recognise that. Uh, Paul speaks about it in his letter to the Ephesians. He says this. In context, it's, it's about the church and he says that, but he gives the example of the marriage relationship. In Ephesians 5, 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Saviour. So that's really about Christ and the church. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's he talking about there? Jesus going to the cross for the church. 26, he did that to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So we can become a part of the family of God by believing in Jesus, becoming part of his church. That's what the Bible says. In this same way, verse 28 says, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I am talking about Christ and the church is what Paul's writing here. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect the husband. So we're talking about marriage as the way of becoming a part of God's family. We are the bride of Christ, we become part of the church, we are married to Christ, who is the head of the church. A second part is by birth. We can become a part, have a relationship with God by birth and it's a new birth, isn't it? Jesus was talking to Nicodemus and he said these words in John chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. Jesus answered to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So in effect, when we trust in Jesus, we are literally born twice. We are born physically, but we also have a spiritual birthday, if you like. And that's that born again aspect of it. It's essential for salvation, and it's always God's spirit that does the work in our lives. And the third aspect, which we probably don't think about too much, is that we are adopted into God's kingdom, into God's family. John chapter 14 says this, If you love me, keep my commandments. This is the New King James Version, and I've used that particularly because it says something here that's important. And Verse 16, And I'll pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, comforter, counsellor, advocate, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. The King James Version says, I will not leave you comfortless. Same word, comfortless or orphans. I will not leave you without one that you can call father, one that you can belong to. And that's what we do. We belong to the kingdom of God. We belong to the family of God. This, this word is, is in the Greek is orphanos, which we get the word orphan from. I will not leave you, is what, God say, is what Jesus is saying to his disciples on the day. 
And he says that to us as well. And how many people have heard someone say, I've never had a family in life, but when I came to believe in Jesus, I inherited a, a worldwide family, all those that love Jesus. And I've heard that many, many times. Even though they might not have known their mother or their father, then they come to faith in Christ. They inherit, as it were, they're adopted into the family of God. Paul says a similar thing in Romans. Romans chapter 8, he says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You may have met lots of lonely people in in your sphere of influence and if only they would have their eyes open to the fact that they could know God as their Abba Father, as their Heavenly Father, they wouldn't need to be lonely anymore. They can only know God through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to tell you this morning a story about uh, a story of adoption. Uh, These people are unknown to me. It's an illustration I found, so there's no one here that we're talking about. But this is an example of an 11-year-old boy called Jeremy and he had been abandoned by his birth mother when he was just a little baby. Very sad. Jeremy had grown up in a series of foster homes and the only times he ever saw his birth mother was when she came to the law court to say, no, I don't want him to be adopted out. He can stay in the foster homes. Isn't that sad? Finally, the judge was able to organise Jeremy to be adopted but it took 11 years of his life before that would happen. There's a lady called Rachel Carter. She was Jeremy's uh, grade four school teacher. She was also the mother of three daughters. And Rachel's heart had gone out to Jeremy on the very first day of school that year. Mrs Carter was especially moved when the little boy introduced himself by saying, I'm Jeremy and I don't have a family. I never will because I'm too old for anybody to love me. Isn't that sad? 11 years of age. That's what Jeremy thought. But before the year was out, Rachel and her husband decided to adopt that little boy. At the end of the school year, the adoption was finalised and Jeremy proudly announced to the principal, when school started, I was nobody. Now I'm a carter. So you could see that he was grateful to be a part of that family. And that's the joy of adoption. It's the joy that God shows to us when we are adopted into his family. When we believe in Jesus, we are put into God's family, whether it be through that marriage or by birth or by adoption. God's spirit has a part to play in every step of that process. And the third and final uh, description of the work of the Holy Spirit today is that he gives us guidance. He gives us a resource for Christian living. Guidance is a part of it. And in John chapter 16, we read this. Jesus saying, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit is our guide. He's the one that gives us guidance for life. Guidance about truth. So so when we hear something spoken or when we see something that seems a bit off, we need to go back to the truth, which is the word of God. We need to ask God's spirit, is this true in this situation? And wait for his answer. That's how he guides us. Not only does he guide us, but he gives us 
spiritual gifts as well. And we looked at some of those in uh, previous weeks when we were talking about um, not only the gifts of the Spirit but the fruit of the Spirit as well. 1 Corinthians and chapter 12, Paul writes this, talking about the gifts. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he gives them to each one just as he determines. So God's Spirit gives us resources for Christian life some of those resources are the gifts that he gives. And I mentioned the spiritual fruit, that's the next one. He gives us spiritual fruit. What are those? Who thinks they know what they are? Galatians 5.22. How about we read it together? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Who wants some of those fruit? Me. Yeah, I do because I know I'm lacking in some of those areas. But it's God's Spirit that brings those fruit out in our lives. And finally this morning, as we finish, God's Spirit is in the job of uh, changing us to reflect the glory and the likeness of Jesus Christ. In chapter 16, verse 14, which we've read this morning, it says this, He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. He wants us to reflect him. He wants us to be like a mirror of him. Jesus said, he will glorify me. Take what is mine. Make it known to you. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says a similar thing. He says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing joy which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we are being made into the likeness of Christ. Uh, the New, Tri- New Living Translation says it this way, All of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect, reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. I wonder if that's what we're doing in our lives. I want to finish with a story this morning. This story is about a, a, a pastor who was travelling on a bus down a bumpy road and beside him was a, a new Bible college student heading off to Bible college. And uh, he noticed that the person beside him, this pastor, was reading his Bible. So he thought, oh, he must, must be a Christian. And uh, almost out of the blue, the pastor asked him, are you spiritually ready for the temptations that you'll face in Bible college? Where did that come from? They didn't know each other. And the young man arrogantly answered, I don't have a problem with temptation. I have strong willpower. A bit arrogant. So the preacher took a pencil out of his pocket. I've only got a pen here. He said, I can make this pencil stand up on the cover of this Bible even though the bus ride is bumpy. The young man said, I'll believe it when I see it. I don't think you can do it. Look, I'm doing it, said the pastor. (laughs) Yeah, but you didn't tell me you were going to hold onto the pencil in your hand. I didn't have to tell you that, the pastor said. Have you ever seen a pencil stand up on its own without somebody holding it? Then let go and it fell over. Of course, he was saying, the only reason you stand to this young, young college student is because God is holding you up with his hand. The only reason you stand is because God is holding you up with his hand. And his hand is the Holy Spirit within us. We don't often see where God is at work in our lives, but he's promised to, that he'll always be with us, never leave us or forsake us.
and that's his Holy Spirit in us. Sometimes we as Christians feel like we're falling, but his Holy Spirit, by his Holy Spirit, God will hold us up. We need to thank God for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that Jesus promised to his disciples and came into effect, as it were, when he poured out his Spirit on the church and when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour. We can trust in the promises of Jesus about the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for the lessons that we can learn as Jesus was talking with his disciples. We thank you that many times he referred to the Holy Spirit who is going to be the comforter, the counsellor, the guide, the advocate. We thank you that he is in our lives when we place our faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. He never leaves us. And Father, we pray that even though we might not see it or we might not be aware of it, we, pray, we, we praise you and we are thankful that your spirit is holding us up each day. Through the difficult times, through the wonderful times, your spirit is with us and we thank you for that. And I pray, Father, for, for those that, that, that can't see the spirit with us, that don't recognise the spirit with us, just open their eyes. Father, show them things that happen each day where you are involved in their lives and it's your spirit showing them what Jesus is like that helps us to be obedient to what Jesus has said. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If anyone wants to chat with me about what I've said this morning, please grab me over a coffee and we can catch up this morning. Thank you.